1: Today on The Matt Walsh Show, an Olympic athlete turns her back on the flag as the national anthem is played. There's a catastrophic lack of gratitude in this country. It's become a real epidemic, in my opinion, and it's, this is just the latest symptom of it, so we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines including peaceful protesters exercise their free speech rights by defacing a George Floyd statue. Also, a self-proclaimed intellectual on in MSNBC calls white conservatives maggots and then apologizes, sort of, And in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the LGBT activists and people in the media who are very offended and upset that the latest Pixar film about two young boys is not a gay romance. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now we check in with Charity Mobile. You know, I've uh, been a Charity Mobile customer myself for a long time now, and I couldn't be happier with the service. Uh, because it's a great service but also uh, i know that i'm supporting a pro-life phone company the pro-life cause i'm I'm supporting a company that's actually on my side in the culture Uh, and that's why charity mobile is called the pro-life phone company because five percent of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life pro-family charity of your choice um and there's a lot there's a lot of other reasons to join charity mobile like you get new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping There's no contracts. You don't have to deal with any termination fees or any of the things you have to deal with with uh, with some other companies. And there's also no risk with a 30-day guarantee, so you might as well try it out and see if you like it. I think you will. Another thing you'll probably like is the live customer service based right here in the USA. Uh, You also get a free app to monitor your usage. You get free usage alerts, which uh, really come in handy. And all the while, you're helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. So call them at one 474 3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. So it's not often that I begin the show by quoting ancient Roman philosophers, but today this quote comes immediately to mind. Cicero, uh, at least according to a Facebook meme that I saw once, said, Gratitude is not only the greatest, but is also the parent of all the other virtues. And that's the more famous version of the quote anyway. Actually, the full version is better. He said, in truth, O judges, while I wish to be adorned with every virtue, yet there is nothing which I can esteem more highly than the being and appearing grateful. For this one virtue is not, the only, not only the greatest, but is also the parent of all the other virtues. Now, the Facebook meme didn't tell me why he said this, but it's not difficult to imagine how one might defend that claim, that gratitude is the parent of all virtues. Many other virtues seem to be contained in gratitude. In order to be truly grateful to someone or for something, you have to be humble, you have to be prudent, you must be kind. Gratitude is the sister of generosity. Generosity is in the giving, gratitude is in the receiving. If one is present in the interaction but not the other, there's a risk that soon both will be lost. You know, If you've ever tried to be consistently generous to a habitually ungrateful person, you know how this works. Gratitude is certainly not something that a deeply selfish person can experience. A selfish and entitled person won't be grateful for anything because they believe that everything they're given was already owed to them. And whatever it is, it's not enough anyway. They're never satisfied, let alone grateful. And this is why, as parents, we spend so much time teaching gratitude to our children. After you take your child out for ice cream, or you go to the zoo, or you put dinner on the table, there's that common refrain. I know I say it all the time. What do you say? And the child, prompted, shouts, thank you, until hopefully he doesn't need to be prompted anymore. Now, this this isn't a simple matter of teaching good manners, though it is that also, of course. But on a deeper level, you're instilling gratitude. And it does have to be instilled, inculcated, taught. It doesn't come on its own. Children are naturally inclined to take things for granted, to think, well, you know, of course mommy and daddy gave me this. That's their job. They're mommy and daddy. We have to teach them that much of what we do for them is above and beyond the mere fulfillment of a job. We don't have to give them ice cream. We do that because we love them. And for that, they should be grateful. And even the things that are fulfilling the job, making them dinner, for example, putting a roof over their heads, that should still be met with gratitude. This is a lesson we teach them for their own sake, not for ours. Grateful people are good people. They're happy people. They're well-adjusted people. Grateful people have friends. They get hired for jobs. They enjoy life. So it is then no surprise that in a country where so many people are miserable and angry and depressed all the time, there's also a catastrophic lack of gratitude. Which brings us finally to a woman named Gwen Berry. This past weekend was the U.S. Olympic trials for track and field. One of the um, track and field events is the hammer throw Now, unfortunately, and I just learned this today, um, because I don't really watch the Olympics, uh, they're not throwing hammers like the ones you find at a Home Depot, as fun as that would be. I had imagined like a toolbox and they're just chucking hammers, maybe at each other. That'd be fun. Instead, it's like the shot put, except uh, with kind of a sling. Gwen Berry is one of the athletes who competed in that event, and um, she managed to achieve third place behind a woman named Deanna Price in first place and Brooke Anderson in second. As it happens, Deanna Price had a record-breaking day of chucking the metal ball around. She actually was; I think she broke her own record, which she had set before. And but that achievement was overshadowed by third place Barry, who, uh, while standing on the podium, turned her back on the flag and began visibly pouting as the national anthem was played. Towards the end of the song, she covered her head with a with a black T-shirt that read "Activist Athlete." And this is all it takes to be an activist these days, of course. All you need to do is stand around like a pouty, sullen child. Which at least she didn't burn anything. Uh, I guess we could be grateful for that, speaking of gratitude. Perhaps she's saving that for when the Olympics actually start. Now, after her little stunt, Barry explained to reporters that she reacted that way to the anthem because she considered it a personal affront that it had been played at all. This is this is her quote, the quote from her. She said, quote, I feel like it was a setup. I feel like they did that on purpose. And I was pissed, to be honest. I was thinking about what should I do? Eventually, I just stayed there and I just swayed. I put my shirt over my head. It was real disrespectful. I know they did that on purpose, but it'll be all right. I see what's up. Now, to be clear, she's not saying that her turning her back was disrespectful, which it was. She's saying that they were disrespecting her by playing the anthem in the first place. She felt personally disrespected by the anthem. This woman is not only an unpatriotic, whiny, disgusting brat, but she also believes the world revolves around her. They play the anthem every day during the trials at around that time. Yet if it plays on the day that she's competing, it must be some kind of personal attack against her. But it's no surprise she has this attitude. Grateful people tend to possess all the other virtues. Ungrateful people, in contrast, tend to possess none at all. She's ungrateful, so of course she's also self-centered and petty and everything else. Now, of course, in a healthy country, an Olympic athlete who, who turns her back on her own flag would be kicked off the team. And publicly shamed and reviled for being the disgraceful, embarrassing jackass that she is. But we're not a healthy country. So instead, she will be and already has been lionized as some sort of civil rights hero standing up against oppression. What sort of oppression, though? I mean, what exactly is she so angry about? In what precise way has this person been at all victimized? What is she mad about? What's the problem? That's never made clear. Out of all these people claiming to have some deep grievance against the United States, none of them can ever explain what it is. They could talk about history. They could talk about things that happened 200 years ago. But they can't explain what's happened to them. What did this country do to you specifically that's made you feel this way? That's because their grievance doesn't stem from anything external. It comes internally. From their own lack of gratitude. This country has given Gwen Berry everything. Now it even gives her an international forum to complain about it. To complain about her country. But it's not enough. Nothing is ever enough. Her attitude, similar to the attitude of so many others, is, um, uh, is not that she's grateful for all that she's been given. The freedom she's been afforded. The luxuries she's, she enjoys. And yet she still recognizes the problems in our society and wishes to fix them. That's one thing. I mean, it's one thing if you say, I'm, I'm very grateful for this country. I love this country. Uh, but it's not a perfect country, obviously. No country is perfect. And so here are some problems we should fix. That, that's That's a perfectly fine attitude. Anyone should have that attitude. Nobody is saying that in order to be patriotic, you have to think that your country is flawless. I certainly don't. No, but the problem for her is that she sees only darkness and horror. That's all she sees. She can't even bear to look at the flag. Can't bother to stand for two minutes with her hand on her heart. She won't even give that to her country. She will give her country nothing in exchange for the everything that it has given to her. Because although her life is good... And far better than it would be literally anywhere else on earth, which is why she chooses to stay here rather than move somewhere else. Even so, it's not perfect. And if she hasn't been given a perfect life, then she won't be grateful for a good but imperfect one. This is a woman who, again, like so many others, was never taught gratitude as a child, we can assume. And it's probably too late to teach it now, but even so, maybe we should try. So so Gwen, what do you say? What do you say to America? You say thank you. And you do it with your hand over your heart, looking at the flag. Now let's get to five headlines. Well, if you're a business owner, I don't have to tell you there are a lot of uh, challenges that come with being a business owner. Very rewarding to be your own boss and everything, but uh, a lot of challenges come with it. One of them The most basic challenge probably is finding the right person for your role, uh, the role that you're trying to fill. And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You know, hiring can feel like searching for a needle in a haystack. Sure, you could post your job to some job board, but then all you could do is just hope that the right person comes along and stumbles across it out there in the wilderness of cyberspace. Uh, Why do that when you can just use ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and it actively invites them to apply. So this is an active approach rather than a passive approach, which is what you get from a lot of other websites. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Uh, You just can't beat that kind of success. So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you, what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now, you could try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. Once again, remember to go to this unique place, ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, so, uh, yeah, so I am back from vacation. Maybe you noticed. Um, sort of. I'm actually taking another few days around July 4th. But if you complain about that, then, you, then you're also un-American. This is, just, this is my I think it's part of my patriotic duty take a couple days around July 4th uh, but the, it, it did it, it did go well especially considering 20, 20 drive ended up being 20 hours with four kids and uh, I'm not usually an, a, a, a guy who relies on, on electronics with the kids in the car and all that but 20 hours I thought okay we have a DVD player in the car we'll put the DVD on not the whole time but um, of course we get in the car the DVD player is broken so in spite of that, it went well. There was, there was one dust-up when we were uh, at our vacation home on the lake, and my, my four-year-old son, he uh, often when we're staying outside of our house, he gets nightmares, I guess because he's feeling a little, a little out of sorts, a little homesick, so he got nightmares one night, and he comes into our room, and uh, it's like three o'clock in the morning, and so I just let him sleep in our room with us, which I knew was a mistake because then the next night he wants to do the same thing, and I'm saying, no, you got to stay, stay in your own room. And he's worried about having nightmares again. So I'm sitting there talking to him and trying to, you know, figure out a strategy to avoid nightmares. And at first I tell him, well, if you start getting a nightmare, just remind yourself that you're in a dream. You know, and and then and then you'll wake up. And then I realize that's a bad strategy because sometimes you can do that where you realize you're dreaming while you're dreaming, but you can't escape the dream. And then it becomes sort of an inception type of situation, which can be even more horrifying. So then I said, okay, why don't we just plan a a good dream to have? And I said to him, think about what would be the, if you could go anywhere in the world or do anything, what would it be? And he said he he would want to go to a candy store. And I said, well, this is a dream. I mean, you could be in a forest where candy grows on the trees. You could be, there could be candy falling from the sky. You don't need to go to to an actual store. But he said, no, he wants to go to a candy store. And I said, "Um, okay, how much money do you want to have? in your dream in the candy. You could have all the money. He said, he wants to have a hundred dollars. I said, you could have a bill, you could have $50 billion in the candy store, but all he wanted was a hundred. And so I said, just plan to dream of the candy store with a hundred dollars. I will also dream about the candy store and I'll meet you there in our dream. And then if any monsters show up, I'll fight them off and I'll protect you. And that was the plan. But then, um, my wife goes in to talk to him and she, he recruits her to be involved in the dream too. And then she, he's talking to his sister and his brother. And now they're all, and now we're all coordinating this one dream we're going to have together. It gets way too complicated. And then I have the dream. I'm at the candy store and no one else shows up. Uh, they all went off somewhere else because I get stood up. Even in my dreams, I get stood up by my own children. That's the moral of the story. But other than that, it was a good vacation. Now, uh, we, uh, we start here with a story that I guess this happened on Friday. This happened on Friday. So this is from a report from NBC New York. It says, outrage mounted Friday over vandalism to, new, to newly unveiled George Floyd statues in Brooklyn and uh, Newark, New Jersey. As the former Minneapolis police officer accused of murdering, the 46-year-old father of five was sentenced to more than 22 years in prison. A punishment that some didn't believe was harsh enough. Uh, yeah, 22, 22 years in prison. You probably heard that on Friday. It's what, this is what Derek Chauvin was sentenced to. Yeah, not harsh enough. That's 22 years in prison because someone else dr- died of a drug overdose. That, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty harsh sentence for a drug overdose that someone else had. A guy on four times a lethal dose of fentanyl died of a drug overdose. And, uh, and you get sentenced to 22 years. I-, I would say it's pretty harsh, given the circumstances. Anyway, back to this report. It says, many, including tens of thousands in New York City, applauded the initial verdict. Uh, and frustration is growing as the NYPD's Hate Crimes Task Force searches for the vandals who defaced the new George Floyd sculpture on Flatbush Avenue. The vandalism to the Flatbush statue, which was un- unveiled on Flatbush Avenue last weekend amid the city's Juneteenth celebration, was discovered Thursday morning. Uh, They said that, what was the vandalism? They said that that much of the statue had been painted black. The name of a group considered to be a white nationalist hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, always a reliable source on these things, was spray painted on the statue's pedestal. And then another tribute to Floyd um, was also vandalized. This in Newark, the 700 pound bronze statue in Newark, which debuted earlier this month outside City Hall had the face painted black, and then with the name of the same group on the front of it. Um, And they're they're investigating this, as the article says, as a hate crime. Bill de Blasio tweeted on Friday, he said, Last night, a far-right extremist group vandalized the statue of George Floyd in Brooklyn, a racist, loathsome, despicable act of hate. The city cleanup corps is repairing the statue right now, and a hate crime investigation is underway. We will bring these cowards to justice. Now, first of all, I thought vandalizing statues was an acceptable form of peaceful protest. I thought that there's no such thing as violence against property. Isn't that what we heard for the whole last year? This is is them exercising their free speech rights. This is the precedent that's been set. If you don't like a statue, you can deface it. You could tear it down. I mean, they should, be, they should be happy that the George Floyd statue was only defaced and not torn down, set on fire, and tossed into a river, as other statues have been. Um, but a couple of things to think about here. First of all, calling this a hate crime and calling it racist. What is it? It's a hate crime against a statue? Who is it a hate crime against? Because typically in a hate crime... And I'm not a big fan of the hate crime designation. I don't think it should exist at all. But, um, but it, it, as I understand it, usually in a hate crime there has to be a, a victim, right? Someone is is a victim in a hate crime. So who's the victim here? It George Floyd is George Floyd. Well, he's he's dead, so he can't be the victim of a hate crime. So who is it? Well. I guess I can only assume I, I, the statue can't be the victim. It's only property. And by the way, I'm sure it was insured. That's the other thing we learned. As long as, as, long as it has insurance, then uh, you can tear it down, do whatever you want. You can burn down a CVS as long as it has insurance. But you can't commit a hate crime against a statue. Uh, you, you can't commit a hate crime against someone who's dead. So uh, then, then who is it against? And I guess it's a hate crime against all black people. Is that what we're supposed to understand? So George Floyd is now a representative of the entire black race is what we're being told. In order for this to be a hate crime, that's, that would have to be, you have to view it that way. What? Talk about racist? Talk about loathsome and despicable taking this guy and making him some sort of representative for a whole race. This guy, George Floyd, who who achieved precisely nothing of value in his entire life. As far as we know, no one's ever told us if he did, did anything of value or significance, we've never been told what it is. The only thing of value and significance that he achieved was when he died. And that was valuable and significant to the left because they could exploit it. That's all they care about. But as far as how he actually lived his life, he did nothing. Except victimize other people. He was a danger and a threat to his community. Um, A violent felon, a career criminal, a drug addict who died high on fentanyl after trying to pass off bad checks or a bad $20 bill. And you're making him um, a representative. I can tell you I, that that's not what, what I would want. I wouldn't want to take some some random criminal and make him a representative for all white people. I wouldn't want that. You know, the difference between every time I talk about this and why George Floyd doesn't deserve statues and monuments. In fact, I would say, and I know there are a lot of, uh, there are many candidates for this title, so I'm a, I'm a little bit hesitant in saying it, but I, there's an argument that you can make that George Floyd is the most undeserving person to ever have a statue built in his honor. Again, I know there are others you could point to who are in the running but he's, he's certainly in the top five at least. As someone who did nothing of, of significance at all. And uh, anytime I bring this up, I'm always, I'm always told, well, what about this or that historical figure who was problematic and who did bad things? Christopher Columbus, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. And you start going through the litany, Right. Well, yeah, see, there's, there's a difference here. We know that nobody is perfect. We know that great people who do great things very often have great flaws and are also capable of and sometimes and, and, and will commit great evil. We know that. And if you are uh, set on only celebrating people who are perfect then you've really narrowed down your list. So that's something that we know, but the difference is uh, that if we're talking about Christopher Columbus or Thomas Jefferson or many of these other figures who have had their statues torn down, they achieved great things. They they are remembered by history for for things that they actually did. They changed the course of history through their actions while living, and in a good way. What about George Floyd? What did he do? Nothing. He broke into, forced his way into a woman's home and robbed her at gunpoint in front of her child. That's as as, as far as we're aware of. As far as with with George Floyd's biography, that is the most significant thing he did with his life. The most impactful thing he did with his life was that. And I'm sure it made an enormous impact on the woman who was victimized and her child. Of course, nobody cares about her. Nobody wonders how she must feel walking down the street and having to see a statue built to the man. Just imagine that. Imagine walking down the street and seeing a literal monument to a man who not but a few years ago was forcing his way into your home and putting a gun to you but nobody cares about her her voice is uh, silent that's it that's the most significant thing and then he died and he died in a way that was that's exploitable for the left and that's all they care about and that's why they build a monument to him there's there's a big difference all of most of the other people who've had statues torn down even if even if they are guilty of some of the atrocities they're accused of, and oftentimes they're not guilty of all of the atrocities, but even if they're guilty of some of the bad things they're accused of, there is no question that they achieved great, that they did great things with their lives. That the world is different today because of what they did with their life and different in a good way. All right, um, so, yeah, George, the George Floyd statues should, should all be torn down. If we're, if we're tearing down statues, if we're tearing down statues of violent oppressors, yeah, let's do that. Let's start with George Floyd. Tear down the George Floyd statues and throw them in the river. He was a violent oppressor of women and a bad person. All right, let's go uh, number two here. Michael Eric Dyson, speaking of bad people, uh, is uh, an academic and intellectual and a minister. And we need to put air quotes around all of those descriptors, but that's how he describes himself. And maybe you saw this last week. He was on, on MSNBC and he attacked um, white conservatives, calling them, among other things, maggots. And we have an update to this story, but first let's play uh, that clip of
2: him saying that. Here it is. And speaking about, you know, the maggots, I, I'm sorry, the MAGA, um, that is so corrosive in this, you know, political uh, moment. Mm. I resent, as an intellectual and as a black person in America, that we have taken the brunt of anti-intellectualism. We have t- borne the brunt of being disloyal to this nation, and we have stood by to see mediocre, mealy-mouthed, uh, snowflake white men who are incapable of taking critique who are willing to dole out infamous repudiations of the humanity of the other, and yet they call us snowflakes and they are the biggest flakes of snow to hit the earth. They are incapable of criticism. They are incapable of tolerating difference. They're scared of, oh my God, critical race theory is going to kill your mother. And they don't even know. They're not critical. (laughs) They have no race and they don't understand theory. And yet they are allowed to wax eloquently about the means and limits of rationality in this country. And they couldn't save themselves if the world depended on it. And I am tired of hearing mediocre white men uh, take to their pulpits to excoriate women and trans people and bisexuals and black folk and every other thing that ain't them. It is time that we in America take back this country for certain and to seize the reins of authority so that rhetorics of compassion, discourses of empathy and love in the most radical sense possible would prevail.
1: Rhetorics of compassion, discourses of empathy. By the way, people who speak like this are stupid. When they're speaking in a way where you could tell they're trying to impress you with their intelligence. Um, that's a sign of stupidity. Rhetorics of compassion, discourses of empathy. Nobody, spe- nobody talks like that. Uh, and putting aside the the irony that he he began by calling millions of people maggots, snowflakes, and uh, and and then he ends with with uh, we need more rhetorics rhetorics of compassion. We need more compassion from these damned maggots. You know the problem with these filthy, disgusting, worthless, stupid maggots? They don't have compassion. They lack they lack kindness. Rhetorics of compassion. And I know this isn't even the, the main point here, but I also I, I, I took note of uh, where, where he was talking about the, the mediocre, mealy-mouthed white men and uh, uh, once, once again, it goes without saying, uh, but I, I always say it every time, that if this was a white guy on cable news complaining about the, quote, mediocre, mealy-mouthed black men, we can imagine what the reaction would be. But it's okay for him to do. He's allowed to do that. Nobody can explain why, but he can. Uh, but he, he says uh, these mediocre white men who are excoriating bisexuals. What? Where have you ever heard a, a bisexual be excoriated? Who's doing that? He also said that transgender people and women are being excoriated. That's not happening either. But bisexual is such a specific category to choose here, and I, I've I've never heard anyone get up on any pulpit and say these. You know what's problem in America today? These damn bisexuals. I've never heard anything like that ever. From anyone, uh, but there, there he was, and uh, uh, with, with his, with his, his version of what a rhetoric of compassion sounds like, and then he came back on MSNBC a couple days later and sort of apologized for some of that, but not really. Let's listen.
2: I myself, yeah. the other day, let me let me apologize on this program. I was trying to be cute and clever when I was talking about maga, therefore maggots, not maggots. I didn't anticipate that, uh, you know, brothers and sisters who are white would hear it as that. So I deeply and profoundly apologize for that. But I have been hit with an onslaught of death threats and being called the N-word out of white rage uh, for a mistake I made for which I am willing to apologize, certainly. And what black people are often up against is the fact that we have to be told that. Emotion will not judge, will not lead um, our uh, you know offering of justice to you. Emotion will not drive, uh, or a statement to be made to the American public will not drive what we do legally. And yet, so much emotion is directed at us. So much hatred is directed at us. So much white rage is directed at us.
1: Yeah, I mean, every part of that is to- total nonsense. First of all, he says it was a it was a mistake. I didn't I didn't anticipate. That anyone would take it that way. What? Uh, no, I, I called him maggots. But I, I didn't. I didn't know that anyone would think that I was call. I, all I did was call you a maggot. I didn't think that you would think that I was calling you a maggot. What? What do? You, what did you mean to say? Um, so he's not taking ownership at all. There's there's no real apology there at all. But then. And then, uh, and then, of course, we always hear about, the, I've got the onslaught of death threats. You know what? Show me the receipts, uh, Michael, because I, I, I don't... Or whatever your name is. Yeah, Michael. Uh, show me the receipts on that. I, I get tired of people always talking about... We always hear this. Anytime someone's getting criticized, they, they say, I, I've been getting death threats for the last... Have you really? Maybe you have, but, uh, but I, I, show me the receipts on that. I want to I see the death threats. Because I do get death threats. Um, and when I get them, I, I do show the receipts. I'll show you what they look like. It's, it's relatively rare. What's, what's a lot more common that I get all the time are people wishing death on me, saying, uh, go kill yourself and that kind of thing, which is a horrible thing to say to a person. But I don't call that a death threat. So anytime someone claims that they're dealing with an onslaught of death threats, and so you imagine like hundreds of people threatening to kill them, yeah, I got to say, I don't really believe it. Could, could be, maybe it happened. I don't know. But in either case, when you, not that a death threat would be justified, but when you get up on national TV and you call millions of people maggots, you're going, you're going to get an angry response. It doesn't matter who you're, what that, whatever group you're targeting with that comment, they're going to be angry. And they're going to let you know that they're angry. And since it's the internet, they're going to let you know in hyperbolic terms. But now he's the victim. All I did was call millions of people maggots. I didn't anticipate all this anger. And you know, this is the problem. Anytime a black man speaks up in America, he has to deal with white rage. Yeah, if a black man calls people maggots, he's going to have to deal with rage. Just like if a white man did it, he'd also have to deal with rage. That tends to enrage people. People tend to get upset about that. Most people, when you call them a maggot, they're not going to laugh about it. Or say, well, you're entitled to your opinion. You believe I'm a maggot. I don't think I am, but uh, we'll we'll let bygones be bygones. Now, on the internet, you can't even say what your favorite flavor of ice cream is without people taking it as a personal attack. So if you call them maggots, how do you think anyone's going to respond? But he gets he gets close to the precipice of an apology and then turns right back around and says, uh, never mind, you know what? Actually, I'm the victim. And it's okay. He'll get away with it. He, even the, the non-apology that he gave was uh, not even actually necessary because no one's going to hold him accountable and he can still appear on cable news and he's not going to lose any jobs or, you know, if he's, uh, I don't know, what he, if he works for a university or something, they're, they're not going to get rid of him. So there's no accountability there at all. All right. Um, a couple other things I wanted to mention. We got to do, eh, maybe we'll save this for tomorrow because we also have the, the UFO report. But I, you know what? I was going to skip over it because I am... This is the moment I've been waiting. As you know, I've been waiting for this moment. I bought the T-shirts, I had the merchandise. My whole life leading up to this moment, and uh, and then the 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 much anticipated UFO report is released, and uh, basically, it's it, it's not even worth going over because it's everything that we already knew. So, if there's any headline from the UFO report. Um, it's that, uh, I'm reading now from the daily wire. It says the Re- director of national intelligence on Friday released a highly anticipated report outlining what the government knows so far about unidentified flying objects and the threat they pose, but it offered scant conclusions about such phenomena. The DNI announced Friday afternoon that it has submitted a preliminary report to Congress on the progress that the U S Navy's unidentified aerial phenomena task force has made in understanding I- unidentified aerial phenomena more commonly known as UFOs. The intelligence report said, this is, I guess, is really the headline, the only headline. The intelligence report said that U.S. intelligence cannot explain 143 of the 144 cases of UFOs observed and reported by military aircraft from 2004 to 2021. The one incident that they could categorize with certainty was identified as a large deflating balloon. But I don't know how, isn't a large deflating balloon rather rather easy to identify? Why was it in the report at all? But the others remain unexplained. So that's kind of it. I was hoping that in the report, you know, they would confirm aliens are real and they're among us. And they're standing right next to you. That's what I was hoping the report would say. Was that a delusional hope? You know, was that the hope of a of a of a of a deluded and, and pretty stupid individual? Yes. But even so. I wait for months and this is what I get. I, I guess this is kind of I'm, I'm now experiencing the letdown that people feel, I guess, when a new Star Wars comes out. I never quite understood that as a a non-Star Wars fan, as someone who recognizes that all the Star Wars movies are bad anyway. uh, I've never quite felt or experienced the anger and disappointment and letdown that everyone feels every time a new Star Wars comes out. And and you have all this anticipation that it it doesn't live up to the hype at all. Uh, I feel that way about this because this was supposed to be the real Star Wars. And uh, just didn't work. Didn't happen. All right. We're going to have one more here. A report from the NBC affiliate in Orlando um, says, President Joe Biden is celebrating Pride Month with a series of activities, a reflection of the growing stature of the LGBTQ community at the White House. On Friday, Biden signed into law a measure designating the Pulse nightclub as a national memorial. The shooting at Pulse in 2016 was the deadliest attack on the LGBTQ community in U.S. history. Biden made the announcement of the designation on the fifth remembrance of the deadly shooting. The president emphasized that the country must do more to reduce gun violence, such as banning assault weapons and closing loopholes and regulations. Um, and then the, uh, the One Pulse Foundation said in a statement, quote, today is a major milestone in fulfilling the mission of the National Pulse Memorial Museum. It is so meaningful to everyone here, especially in families of the 49 survivors, first responders, and uh, all the lives affected. It's also clear, a clear and lasting message to the LGBTQ plus community that what happened at Pulse matters and will never be forgotten for future generations, and that we will always outlove hate. Outlove hate. Now, we should mention, um, because it matters, because it's the truth, that this connection that they're trying to make now and that Biden is sort of implying, um, and that we hear in the media b- between anti gay hate and the Pulse nightclub shooting. That connection is is not real. Uh, The killer, there's, as far as we know and has ever been determined, this shooting had nothing to do with anti-gay hate at all. In fact, the killer was himself gay, according to people close to him anyway. And he himself said that he was motivated by revenge for drone attacks in the Middle East. And what we learned from investigators early on is that he had a couple of targets in mind. Um, one happened to be the gay nightclub and then there was another bar nightclub in town that he was, he was kind of deciding between the two and he decided on a whim that it was going to be the Pulse nightclub. That doesn't make it any less horrific, obviously. Um, but this is what we get from the left and from Democrats. They, they can't stick with the simple facts. Just say that it was a, a, a horrible uh, travesty A massacre. There, any negative adjective—most of the negative adjectives that you could use—would apply here. Except it's not an anti-gay hate crime, and that doesn't make it any better. Okay, you get to a certain level, and this is one of my problems. This one of the problems I have with the hate crime designation. You get to a certain level where an act is so evil and so horrible that it can't possibly be worse. So we get the hate crime designation, and we're trying to parse, uh, well, was this, was was the person motivated by hate? Were they motivated? Why does it even matter? Look at what they did. In terms of condemning it, in terms of of punishing the, the perpetrator, if they're still alive, what, what does it matter what motivated it? It's obviously can't be motivated by anything good. But also, and uh, I'm afraid I just have to point this out, at the ceremony, I wanted to show you Jill Biden, the good doctor. I just wanted to show you this. We'll put this up on the screen. You see the dress that she's uh, wearing at, uh, I, I believe this was the same ceremony. And you see that. I don't know what's happening here in this dress. It looks like she was caught in a tornado inside of a Joanne Fabrics. It's like she got assaulted by all of the curtains in my grandmother's house at one time. I I don't know what, who, I'm not someone who notices most of the time. You've got to make a really outrageous fashion choice for me to notice how bad it is. And I just see that, like, what do you think, especially at a solemn occasion like this, wearing a dress like that, a memorial where 49 people died, and that's the dress you put on? I don't know, but all jokes aside, I mean, Jill Biden, I guess, is showing what equity and inclusion is all, is all about by uh, hiring a blind man to make her dress. So I guess we should um, at least be grateful for that. And when it comes to clothing, my, my main priority is, uh, is comfort. I want to be comfortable in what I'm wearing. For my wife though, she cares more about style for me, what it looks like because she, she has to look at me so I can kind of understand where she's coming from. Uh, and that can create some tension sometimes, but we found a, a happy compromise in Mack Weldon because with Mack Weldon, you get comfort, you also get style, and it's very effortless. Mack Weldon has everything you could possibly look for. They have all the basics. Their full collection includes t-shirts, polos, button-ups, shorts, pants, uh, swimsuits, so much more. Anything you want, they've got it. Mack Weldon. Uh, and especially this summer as we get into some of the summer activities, you got to check out Mack Weldon's collections. They've got swimsuits. If you're not in the pool, they've got uh, their Maverick Tech Chino short and Radius short are the perfect additions to your summer wardrobe. Whatever you're doing, if you're going, if you're working out, if you're going to work, if you're going out on a date, whatever it is you're doing, Mack Weldon has something for you. Mack Weldon also has a free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level 2 by spending 200 bucks, you get 20% off every order for the next year so. For twenty percent off your first order, visit macweldon.com/walsh and enter promo code Walsh. That's macweldon.com/walsh promo code Walsh for twenty percent off. Mac Weldon, reinventing men's basics. You know, here at the Daily Wire, we love history. To be specific, we love history that isn't censored in order to adhere to the accepted narrative currently dominating American culture. That's why we're all huge fans of the documentary Created Equal. The film follows Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas on his journey from the segregated South to sitting at the highest court in the land, uh, which he was, by the way, only the second black American to accomplish. You don't hear about that as much for obvious reasons. But um, And lucky for you, The Daily Wire is now streaming it. The documentary is not only available to Daily Wire members. So if you, uh, or rather, it is only available to Daily Wire members. So if you want more stories that diverge from the accepted political narrative, and that's something I know we all want, you got to go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get 20% off your new membership with code justice. Again, if you don't want to be stuck with, uh, with what you get out there from corporate media, if you want to get the important stories that are well told and the ones you need to hear, you got to go to dailywire.com slash subscribe 20% off your new membership with code justice. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. A couple of weeks ago, Pixar released its newest film, a coming-of-age tale about two young boys in Italy who spend a summer getting into mischief, going on adventures, discovering the true meaning of friendship, etc. The twist is that both of the boys, Luca and Alberto, are actually sea monsters. And when they venture onto dry land, they assume the appearance of human beings. But whenever they're in the water, they revert back to their true sea monster form. This apparently is the plot. Now, not to give away the ending, but eventually everybody on land learns that the boys are actually sea monsters and things get a little hairy at first, but then they all learn to accept Luca and Alberto for who they are, while more importantly, Luca and Alberto learn to accept themselves. And I don't need to see the movie to tell you it ends that way. Almost every kid's movie since the dawn of time has been at some level a coming of age story and there's almost always prominent themes of self-acceptance, of being yourself and so on. Pixar isn't doing anything new here. Even the sea monster bit is clearly reminiscent of The Little Mermaid, a disturbing tale about a monstrous aquatic freak who crawls onto land and stalks a young prince, eventually ensnaring him in a romantic relationship on false pretenses. The only thing that's arguably unique about Luca is that the film centers around male friendship. There there is no romance here, um, unlike in Little Mermaid. Now, when I was growing up, those kinds of stories were a little more common. The Sandlot is one example. I was a big fan of that movie as a kid. But these days, most movies feel the need to shoehorn in some kind of romance angle. And of course, there always has to be at least as many female protagonists as male. Luca slightly breaks from that mold, it seems, by telling a more simple, innocent, straightforward story of two young boys who become friends. But nothing is allowed to be simple and innocent and straightforward anymore. Not when there is so much indoctrinating to be done. And so little time to do it. And that's why... Many people on the LGBT left and in the media have spent the last several days insisting that Luca must in fact be a gay movie. It's not a gay movie. The boys are not gay and there's no romance between them, which is good because the characters are prepubescent children. We're not yet at the point where Pixar will release a movie about 8-year-old boys in love. We may get there eventually, but for some on the left, that time can't come soon enough. They're impatient. And that's why if you go to Twitter and you search for Luca right now, you'll find many tweets like this from a guy named Eric Rosewood uh, or Rosswood, I think self-professed LGBT activist and author of the book, the ultimate guide for gay dads. And he tweeted, quote, just saw Luca and I don't care what anyone else says. It's the first gay animated film by Disney Pixar. Feeling like you might have, a, have to hide a part of yourself, meeting someone you like for the first time, strangers calling you and your friends, monsters finding the good ones, I cried. Now, he's not alone in this assessment. A headline from BuzzFeed says, I'm sorry, but Luca is totally a gay movie, and that's why I loved it so much. Screen Rant announces, why Luca is an LGBTQ story, despite what Pixar says. The AV Club has a lengthy missive explaining in strenuous detail why the gay interpretation of Luca is entirely valid. And Vanity Fair takes a more sort of -of middle-of-the-road approach with its contribution to this discussion. The headline, is Luca Pixar's first gay movie? Maybe. We should note, meanwhile, that the director of the film, who may be considered an authority on what the movie is about, has addressed these claims and clarified that no, it's not a gay thing. The boys are just friends. Boys are allowed to be friends. In fact, most boys have friends who are boys. And there's nothing sexual about it. This is quite normal and healthy. What is not normal and healthy is to see all male friendship, even prepubescent, fictional, animated male friendship, through a sexual lens. The Insider uh, website has taken a different approach, accepting that Luca is not a gay story and castigating Pixar for lacking the courage to sexualize a relationship between two age children. The author, um, Jacob Sarkeesian, he writes, quote, while the implications of queerness are there, particularly in the friendship between Luca and Alberto, it's disappointing that Disney's Pixar wasn't brave enough to fully commit to their first queer animated tale. He continues, Luca is immediately taken by the free-spirited Alberto when, they, when he meets a fellow sea monster off the coast of uh, Porto Rosso. They're casually physical with one another, sleeping side by side under a star-filled sky, wrapping their arms around each other's waists, and watching the sunset together. In fact, they spent a lot of time embracing one another, teasing that their relationship could blossom into something more. The comparisons to Call Me By Your Name, a film where two young men fall in love, are well-earned. The Italian seaside setting, the hazy beauty of the summer scenery, and the tale of two boys experiencing love for the first time. Now, Sarkeesian begrudgingly accepts that the nine-year-olds in the cartoon aren't sexually interested in each other. Uh, It's just that he's disappointed, is all. He says... This may seem refreshing to some to see a Disney movie explore friendship as opposed to a fairy tale love story, but it's a shame that this decision has come when a gay romance could have so easily and naturally been explored. Making Luca and Alberto explicitly gay or queer wouldn't have felt contrived. It would have been a meaningful confirmation of what is already a story rich in gay subtext. Yes, why tell any other kind of story when you could have so easily told a gay one? Why does uh, Sylvester Stallone fight Carl Weathers and Rocky when they could have been gay lovers instead? Why is Apollo 13 about an aborted lunar mission when it could have been a romance between two gay astronauts on Mars? A kind of broke-back mountain in space type of thing. And by the way, I hope you'll admire my restraint in refraining from making a Uranus joke right here. I'm not doing that. But why should any story be told if it's not a mechanism for sexual indoctrination? Why should anything exist if it's not ideologically useful to progressives? These are the questions that torment our friends on the left and the questions are all the more disturbing when applied to a movie about eight or nine-year-old boys. Um, It's bad enough for them to sexualize children as they do, but now they're offended when children are not sexualized. The writer of that Insider article is experiencing something like moral indignation at the fact that a couple of prepubescent cartoon characters aren't depicted in an explicitly sexual embrace. I'd really hate to see what sort of improvements, quote-unquote, this weirdo would make to those stories of male friendship that I grew up watching. Don't let them anywhere near the sandlot, is all I can say. Don't let them anywhere near an actual sandlot either, if there are kids on it. The implications here go beyond movies and cartoons. The real point for these leftists, with their half-baked Freudian notions is that all people are driven primarily by sexual impulses, and this includes children to them. In their dark, pedophilic vision of reality, innocent platonic friendships don't exist, can't exist. They see two boys with their arms around each other, and they think, well, why would anyone behave this way unless it's for sexual reasons? No other kind of love, no other sort of bond, can or should be formed. And this kind of over-sexualization of everything makes it more difficult for boys in reality to form those platonic loving bonds with each other. When we hear so much about a lack of representation in film, well, male friendship is not represented represented very often or very well, and so boys are not provided with examples of what those relationships look like. And here we see part of the reason why. Pixar can't even put out a movie about a couple of sea monsters becoming friends without leftists trying to drape a rainbow flag over the whole thing. And for that reason, they are, of course, all of them together. Very much canceled. And That'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021.
0: Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, new polling shows Democrats behind on nearly every major issue. But Democrats can't stop doubling down on stupid anyway. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.